This is a Federal News Network podcast. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Lots of things going on in technology, as always. Trump plans to throttle back the H-1B visa program, as well as the OPT, Optional Practical Training Program, for international students. I'll talk about the implications there. Huawei has been exposed. They were directly supporting the Chinese government in trying to bring down some of the Muslim population in Xinjiang. And uh, so they're not so separate from the Chinese government. And that's verifying that maybe we should be mindful of Huawei technology. Yep. The uh, Silicon Six, so they call them now, you know, Facebook, the whole crew out there, the Silicon Six, uh, are controlling the spread of propaganda. So now there's a big uh, discussion on how that should be controlled because it is becoming too powerful and too easily too easy to manipulate the public opinion. So there's a lot of thoughts on that. This week we're going to feature Pearl, or rather Radia Pearlman. She's one of the pioneers on the Internet, and she developed uh, many of the foundational routing al- routing algorithms for the Internet. So we'll give her story. She came up th- in a time when there were not many women in technology, yet she prevailed. And, of course, it was a it is a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yes, we got an email from Ron in Miami, Florida. Dear Doc and Jim, I've got a 64-gigabyte U.S. B flash drive that I use to transfer files back and forth between my work computer and my home computer. Now, both of these computers have Windows 10. Last week, I started getting an error message every time I put the disk in. It would tell me the disk needs to be scanned and fixed. So I would scan and fix it, and then I'd have to do it again when I transfer the files. Is, do I need to replace my thumb drive, or what's going on here? I'd like to know what's happening. Uh, well, the good news, Ron, you're not using your thumb drive to store your files. You're just using it to transfer the files, so you don't have risk of losing actual data. Now, the most p- common cause of this scan and fix issue is removing the drive be, uh, from the computer before properly ejecting it. You see, when you write data to a flash drive, it goes into what they call cache, which is high-speed memory, and then from the cache, it's then stored onto the flash drive, which is a slower storage process. And by using cache, the computer can move on and go to something else, and it just throws that data in cache. So if you take and pull your thumb drive out before the cache has been emptied, you will get uh, some damage, corruption of of the data on the thumb drive. And so the most likely cause of this is that you're just pulling the thumb drive out too fast. So there is actually a, a notification area uh, on on your whenever you of the flash drives connected, there's a little uh, uh, lo, uh, there's a there's a little icon that's that says safely remove hardware and eject media, and you click on that. That's in the notifications area of the screen, and when you click on it, it will make Windows will then finish finish downloading anything from cache, and, you, and it will tell you that you can pull out the drive. So I would try that. Now in in the meantime, you can you know you can fix your hard drive. You can you can put it into a USB port, and when prompted. You'll get a prompt that says there's a problem on this drive, and then you just click scan and fix. And if you do this proper ejection uh, and you don't get any more error messages, you're good to go. But if you get more error messages, I'm going to say that you probably just ought to replace that thumb drive because you're using it every day for two years. And probably there's some damage to the thumb drive if you keep getting it. I'd just just replace it. Uh, We got an email from uh, Matthew uh, from... um, Matthew in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Dear Dr. Schertz, as they say on sports talk shows, long-time listener, first-time caller. Long-time, first-time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I try and catch the show virtually every Saturday morning, and it's great. Gmail has been driving me stark raving mad. When I send an email to someone who has a Gmail box, Gmail automatically routes it to the spam folder. So either I have to call the recipient or email them from another email address to tell them, to look for it in a spam folder and mark the message as not spam. 
This makes twice as much work, and frankly, I don't always remember to do that. Can you help? <laughs> Thanks. Matthew Bogan in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Well, Matthew, uh, Google is apparently treating your domain as a source of spam. Now, the algorithm that Google uses at, when it, when it uh, determines the value of a scam, they, they look for various things, uh, and they analyze your domain name that you're using for the email, and they also look at your email servers to see if they're configured correctly. What they're particularly concerned about is address spoofing, where somebody uses your email address, spoofs it, and also, they don't like unfettered forwarding of email through your servers. And these are two common methods used by spammers. Now, here's a link. There's a link in the Google support page, which, uh, which you, you know, the, those listening to us, when I post this thing on uh, Sunday, you can, you can go to the show outline. You can get the link. But you go to the Google support page, and there's a link there. And so um, I put in your, your, Matthew, I put in the, your domain name into that support page. And I got four reasons that Google says your, um, your domain name and your email, uh, the email address are flawed. The first one was DKIM is not set up. Now, that stands for Domain Key Identified Mail. It's an email authentication method designed to detect forged sender's addresses in email. That's email spoofing. And that's a, that it's, it's designed to stop the methods that are commonly used in f for phishing emails and email spam. The second one is DMARC is not set up. DMARC stands for Domain-Based Message Authentication Reporting and Conformance. It's an email authentication profile. It's designed to give email domain owners the ability to protect their domain name from unauthorized use, such as email spoofing. There's no valid SPF record. Now, an SPF record is a sender policy framework record. It's used to indicate to mail exchanges that the hosts are authorized and it's sent from a real domain. And finally, no Google email exchangers found, and uh, they question the relay host configuration. Because if your email is not configured properly, a spammer can use your email as a relay for their spam. So I'm thinking Google just looked at your domain name and they found these errors, so they, they put it in spam. So you can fix it. And if you go to the Google, uh, if you go to the Google support page, they'll give you very detailed instructions on how to fix it. Now, I was curious as to whether your domain name was blacklisted by anybody, because maybe you're sending out a lot of emails and that you got blacklisted. So I went to the MX Toolbox Blacklist Checker. <laughs> MX, MX Toolbox Blacklist Checker, and that would be mxtoolbox.com/backlists.aspx. Now, I simply put in your domain name, and they checked it against all the blacklisting lists. And congratulations, you were not blacklisted by anyone. It's a happy day. It's a happy day for you. So I just think you can, your IT folks can fix it, and then you'll that'll solve your problem. We got an email from Emma in New Jersey. Dear Tech Talk, a friend of mine recently had his Facebook page cloned, and it's created a huge problem for him. How can I keep this from happening to me? Love the podcast, Emma in Pennsylvania. Scammers are cloning Facebook accounts all the time. Now, cloning is better than somebody hacking your account and taking it over. They're not taking over your Facebook page. What they're doing, when they clone it, they create an entirely new Facebook page using your name, and they populate it with photos and personal information that they've copied from your Facebook page. Then they copy all your friends, and they submit friend requests to everybody who's on your contact list. And your friends look at this request from something that's with your name. It's a, it's a different it's a different Facebook name, but it's still your name is in it. And they say, oh, that, and you, they must say, they think they've just set up a new Facebook page. And all of a sudden, they're connected to all of your friends. Then what happens? Any email they send from that Facebook page, your friends are going to trust so they start scamming them. So this is the way scammers achieve trust. Now, there's one very simple way that you can make your Facebook page so it's not attractive to people that want to clone. You make your friends list private so that only you can see it. So what you do, you log on to your Facebook account using your preferred browser, click on your name in the upper right-hand corner, then click on the friends link, then there's a little pencil-shaped icon. Just go to the right, right side, just to the right side of the friends, find friends. 
click on, then that'll bring up another window, the click on Edit Privacy, and there's a line called Who Can See Your Friends List, and you just click Only Me, and then you're done. Once your friends are not available for the cloners, there's no reason for them to clone right. your site, and, and that's going to solve your problem. Cool. So I'd advise you to do that. We got an email from Stu in Kilmarnock, Virginia. He's your bestest buddy, isn't he? He is. He really is. He's the one whenever I need to get my jet ski out or something, and he's got a trailer hitch and I don't. <laughs> Stu is Stu Stu's, is Mr. Stu's, Mr. Trailer Hitch for me. He's on the job. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> uh, I've got trouble connecting my router at home. This is particularly troublesome when I have to get work done. What should I do to solve the problem, Stu and Kilmarnock? Well, Stu, that you know that can be really irritating. You're at home and you can't connect to the internet. You don't know what's wrong with the internet connection. Well, I'll tell you, what always works for me is you just reboot everything. Yeah, you know what? That's isn't that Diagnostics 101? Turn it, <laughs> it off, is. turn it back on. That's right. So you shut down your computers, turn off your mobile devices, unplug the power cords on both your modem and your router. Now it could be your modem and your router are on one box, so you only have to unplug one power cord. Disconnect the modem cable from your from the um, from the wall, so you're off the grid. Leave everything un- disconnected for a couple of minutes, and then hook them all back up again, and you should be good to go. Now, I once had I once had a router. I don't have it anymore because I upgraded the router that would it would hang up on me all the time, and I got tired of having to go into the cabinet and unplug it. So I put one of these uh, smart switches in there, and I could turn off the router and turn it back on again from my cell phone. Mm-hmm. So. I was able to, uh, you know, to reset my internet just by rebooting the router remotely, and this is particularly useful when I'm when I'm streaming TV. Like I can I can take TV that I'm receiving at my house in Oakton and I can watch it down in uh, down in Northern Neck. I can I, I I pull it off there through my tablet and I stream it over the internet. So, but what what happens if say the other house, the router locks up. <laughs> you don't have TV down in the northern net. Yeah, and so and so what I do, I can reboot my router in the other house remotely. Oh, that's pretty cool. So this means you don't need to have cable down at the northern neck. Yeah, I, I could, I, I could, I, but I do. I, I, I actually, what, well, what I do, well, I, I've cut the cord. Well, I have internet. You need internet you need, access. You need the internet part of it. I have the internet part, and then what I do is, is I've got, uh, I've got streaming content. And I can log in at either place. So the same account works. That's so, pretty cool. So see, I, I DirecTV Now, which they now change the name to AT&T Now. So I have that in, in Oakton, and I just log on with the same password down in Northern Neck, and it's good to go. So I got the same media account both places. So you're doing DirecTV via the Internet and not via the dish. Yeah, via the Internet. And now it's, it's AT&T Now, and so it's, it's via the Internet. Just like Netflix can be – I got Netflix at both locations. I've got How much is Amazon Prime. At, a month. It's $60 a month. And that's $60 a month, and that gives me really all the channels. It gives, it, it gives me most of the cable channels that I watched anyway. As and it well, gives you the local channels. It gives you the local channels except CBS. Uh, well, in D.C. because they're they're having some sort of contract dispute with CBS has a contract dispute with everybody. So they don't have they, CBS has been on and off and on and off. So what I have so is you mean CBS the network or the local station the, the network on. the network. Oh, okay. So what I have then is I have over the air television for CBS <laughs> using using Tableau. Uh-huh. So I got right. Tableau and I, I just go to the Tableau app and it, it throws it into my Wi Fi network. So whenever I and the only time I w- would watch then CBS would be if there's a like a Redskins game on the CBS, mm-hmm. then I'll just pull it off the Tableau, and I can uh, and that I've got a Tableau down at uh, down at both houses, but sometimes the Tableau down at Northern Nick won't have the Redskin game on. So then what I'll do, I'll pull the Redskin game off of the CBS channel. Up here. Up here, and I'll stream it down there. Now, why would they not? I guess, would they? Would that be a Carolina Panthers market it, then? Or it, could be, it could be. I don't know. I mean, some, sometimes. Weird. Some, you would think that it's Redskins. You would think so, but, you know. I, but then again, let me ask you, why are you bothering to watch the Redskins this year? <laughs> well, this year, it, I really haven't watched them. Okay. It's true. They're, they're not worth streaming. <laughs> no, it's not worth the bandwidth, as they it's, say, right? And yeah, it, it's, no, you, it's not worth the electrons. So, <laughs> and so, and so uh, I haven't done it this year. But, but, but see, so when I, when I cut the cable, 
I had to uh, find I, I that was the one thing I had to find a way to get local TV. And if you and see CBS wants everybody to buy their own app, which is like fifteen dollars a month. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pay fifteen dollars a month just, just for that, just for CBS. So I just refused to do that. Yeah. So anyway, that's the. That's that's my deal, and Stu, I hope that's I hope that solves your problem. It's funny how this is all evolving. <laughs> yes, because everybody, each of these content providers is trying to find their way to make their buck off of this. That's right. And and, and it's it's all still sifting out, isn't it? Yeah. Well, see, I'm the old business model. You had these big aggregates, the cable companies, and they would just get all the media from everybody. They'd get 120 channels. You only need 10. Right. And so they would charge you this huge amount of money for the 120 channels, and you only want 10. And so uh, people said, oh, I don't want that. I just want, I just want to get the 10 that I'm going to get. So now these individual media guys are losing a lot of money because people are cutting the cable. And so now they're trying to find out how can they, how can they come back again. And so DirecTV Now, which was streaming media, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, there are several other ones out there, like Hulu, that also do this. So they're now becoming aggregators. But but the nice thing about these over-the-air aggregators, you don't have a contract, mm-hmm. and you can pick and choose which features you want. And uh, and and just like the, I got the advantage, I can log on in two houses. It's not tied to a particular location. So the over-the-air aggregators are becoming like the new cable company, mm-hmm. and. And I'm watching it. Their prices are creeping up. So, like, DirecTV Now, when I started, was $35. Now it's 60 Now it's 60 You see what they're doing? And they're trying to find the high watermark, right? And so they're and, – and, so and now, but there's, there's real competition because it's not like you've got a contract and a cable come into your house. So, so if uh, – if they get too high, I'll just, just switch. I'll just switch to Hulu, and I can do it. I can do it instantly. Mm-hmm. So now there's real competition with the streaming so media. You're really, just month to month with everybody. Anyway. Uh, you're, you're just month to month, and and there's real competition. So now this model is better for the consumer because in the long run, the competition is going to keep the prices down. And so the cable companies are really getting to be content with just they're providing sell- you with internet. They're selling wholesale bandwidth. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're selling wholesale bandwidth, and they and they and then they try to package it with telephone, which is a ripoff. I don't use the telephone because I've got voice over IP at the house. I don't I don't get telephone through the cable company, mm-hmm. and so you're you're looking at about sixty dollars a month for for internet access, which is which is actually worth it. Yeah, right. And now what mm-hmm. what's going to happen when we go to five G? People will be able to get their internet access wirelessly. So there will be 5G routers at home. There won't even be a wire into the house. Wow. Think about that. That's pretty way crazy. See, which means there will be more competition on providing Internet at the house because if you've got Verizon with 5G and Sprint with 5G and T-Mobile with 5G, uh, they'll all be competing, and you can switch vendors, and they don't have to put a box in your house or run fiber optics. All you got to do is... Like you do with the with with the the content providers now. Same, That's same right. Situation. So so the five G with with wireless delivery straight to the house is going to totally change the competitive dynamic. But see, here's the thing that worries me about this, and I guess I'm just a you know old school. Is that with the the wire? Not that you can't dig up a wire. Or there can't be a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But it's so easy, don't you think, to disrupt a, a wireless network. Yeah, it is. We are more vulnerable more to vulnerable noise. More, more vulnerable to noise and jamming. That is true. There's, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, but uh, you know, it's, a, it's a trade-off. Yeah, it's, like, it, it, it's a trade-off. But I think the evolution of technology going to more competitive competition between all the vendors is extremely good. And we're getting away from the monopoly of the cable providers. Mm-hmm. And they, and once they had a monopoly, they just they ripped us off. Yeah, they sure did. They, I mean, I was up to over two hundred dollars a month yeah. with my, ca- and then they charged me ten dollars for the cable box. Right. For each, I have three TVs. It was another thirty dollars. Yep. So when I dumped them, the thirty-five dollars I'd initially paid at Direct TV now was equal to what the cable boxes were almost. Mm. 
So, anyway, it's an interesting thing. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We're at 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County, 104.5 FM. You can learn more about the great programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. It's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Uh, I'm Dr. Richard Church, and now it is time for... Yes. You know, it's, that, it's the week that we take off. It's the and week. It's probably we... the tryptophan built up in your system it for the is. turkey, and you just it forget is. stuff. That is absolutely the truth. Today we're going to feature Radia Joy Perlman. Radia Perlman developed some of the baseline routing algorithms that are used on the Internet. And many people call her mother of the Internet. Huh. Not everyone, but many people do. <laughs> now, Por- Perlman was born in Portsmouth, Portsmouth, Virginia, in 1952. Now, her parents moved up to New Jersey. She grew up near Ashbury Park, New Jersey. Her father worked on radar, and her mother was a mathematician by training who worked as a computer programmer. Perlman found math and science to be effortless and fascinating. But she also kind of was a liberal arts kind of person. She enjoyed playing the piano and the French horn. It was not until her high school programming class that she considered computers as a career. Because she always thought you had to take apart computers, but she had no interest in the hardware. And so she looked at computers as like a hardware job, and she didn't realize the software piece of it. And she said, well, that could be interesting. Now, Perlman went to uh, MIT. And she obtained a a Bachelor of Science in 1973, and she she got a Master of Science in 1976. Both of those were in mathematics. Uh, It was interesting. She uh, she was at MIT. There were only 50 students in her class. There were 1,000 students in her freshman class. Only 50 were women. And back at the time she went to MIT, they only had one dorm which was women, and they weren't co-ed. Mm. So all the women were just one dorm, and that more or less limited how many women they could accept. Wow. So, it was, so she was really far outnumbered there. Now, as an undergraduate, she really honed her programming skills for physics classes because she wrote a lot of computer programs to model the, uh, the equations in physics. In 1971, she worked as a programmer at the MIT AI Lab where she developed a child-friendly version of the educational robotics language logo. And she actually had children as young as three and a half learning programming because hmm. it was like they were just manipulating graphics. In 1976, when she needed to find an advisor for her thesis, you know, she, she got her master's, she, then she wanted to work on her Ph.D. She's kind of interested in this, uh, in this routing in, in the Internet and programming for the Internet. And so she um, she joined BBN. Now BBN is was a was a, 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 a technology company that in Boston that that was creating some of the core internet technologies on contract to DARPA. 
At that time, it was ARPA, Advanced Research Project Agency. So she joined the MIT group that was working within BBN Technologies. And uh, and her advisor then worked in that same group, Richard Clark. Um, and she got then involved, as you'd expect, with designing network protocols. And she was there for, uh, for four years, actually, working on that. And then she started doing her... Her, her her thesis, her research, and her dissertation while she was working there at BBN. In 1980, she joined the digital equipment company, DEC. Now, DEC was trying to get uh, computers to uh, to share information in a reliable manner, and they asked her for help. Um, and so she started working on uh, programming, uh, on routing algorithms to help DEC get their networks up and running. And that was the core element of her dissertation. She she finally got her Ph.D. in 1988. I guess she worked on it for quite a while. She got it in computer science from MIT. Her doctoral thesis addressed the issue of routing in the presence of malicious network failures. Now, that and malicious network failures, at that time, that was the Cold War. That would be somebody, Russia, dropping a, a bomb on Chicago. And then, then the and the and the traffic has to reroute. Uh-huh. That's what they meant by malicious network failures. They're trying to get a a robust network that could reallocate re, re, reallocate routing algorithms and direct and resources in the event of damage, and do it uh, without any central control, a distributed network. Now, while at DEC, she was tasked with developing a straightforward protocol that would enable bridges to locate loops in local area networks. One of the problems is if you take a lot of local area networks and you start bridging them together, you you can get loops where 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 you you follow the routing algorithm from bridge to bridge to bridge and you end up just going in a loop just in a circle and you never reach where you're going to go. So you've got to be careful that your bridges don't configure themselves so you have loops because then you'll just load your network up with more and more traffic. So she invented the spanning tree protocol which is fundamental to the operation of network bridges. It eliminated loops by allowing only one path between nodes. So there was no way you could have redundant paths. It would pick the shortest path, and there was only one way to go, and guarantee that you wouldn't have a loop. And and you could reconfigure the bridges, change the network, and the spanning tree protocol to automatically reconfigure all of the paths You know, by, re, by setting up a new spanning tree. So there was only one path. It was very important. Now, I, I read one of her papers... Uh, let me give an aside. Okay, please. She, well, you know, I said she's kind of a liberal. So she wrote a poem about the spanning tree algorithm, and I, and I thought the audience would like to hear this poem. You know, please because, do. Yes. By all means, Doc. It's Poetry Corner yes. with Richard Schertz. I think that I shall never see a graph more lovely than a tree, a tree whose crucial property is loop-free connectivity, a tree which must be sure to span... So packets can reach every land. <laughs> First, the route must be selected by ID. It is elected. Least cost paths from route are traced. In the tree, these paths are placed. A mesh is made by folks like me. Then bridges find a spanning tree. <laughs> I just know that that that, that you know what? this is <laughs> this is a great way. Something you could do at the at the office Christmas party, at, at the, at the, yeah, around the punch right. bowl, you could you could recite that poem, don't that's, you? That's I can recite that poem, and then I'll have the punch all to myself. <laughs> uh huh. Now, <laughs> <laughs> now she while at deck. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So the uh, she invented the spanning tree algorithm, which is fundamental to network bridges. Now she was also the principal designer of the decknet decknet four. That's that's the deck. Uh, routing protocol, inter, uh, network protocol, net, 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 DECnet 4 and DECnet 5 protocols, which were part of the DECnet protocol suite for peer-to-peer network architecture. She also made major contributions to connectionless network protocol. She collaborated with Yaakov Rector on developing network routing standards, such as Open System Interconnect Routing Protocol. She also helped improved the intermediate system to intermediate system routing protocol known as IS to IS. This is when you have two networks and you connect them together. How do you how do you uh, adjust the routing at the edge of those networks? And this would allow say internet protocol networks to talk to Apple Talk networks to talk to internet packet exchange networks. 
At DEC, she oversaw the transition from the distant vector to the link state routing protocol. See, the, the original way that they configured the routers was distance vector, and every, and every router would share its entire routing table with all of its neighbors. And that took a huge amount of bandwidth. And so they, they came up with a better way to do it where you only share your links, the links. You don't share the whole routing table. And so when you go from distance vector to link state routing, it's much more efficient. And the link state routing al algorithm, if you make a change to the network, it stabilizes faster. So she was always trying to get routing algorithms that would stabilize faster whenever the network was changed, whether maliciously or on purpose. Um, the Open Shortest Path First Protocol relied on Perlman's research on fault-tolerant broadcasting of, of uh, routing information. So almost all the routing algorithms that we find on the Internet, she has her fingerprint on. That's why they're calling her mother of the Internet. Perlman subsequently worked as a network engineer and fellow for Sun Microsystems, which is now Oracle. She specialized in network, uh, in network and security protocols. Now, she researched. I looked at all of her honors. She got... I'll just, I picked just three because there's so many. She was in the Internet Inventors Hall of the National Inventors Hall of Fame, the Internet Hall of Fame. She was in the Anita Borg Institute Women of Vision Award. She received that. She got Data Communications Top 20 Most Influential People two years in 1992 and 1997. She's the only person that was ever on that list twice. Mm. So she has had quite a um, Quite an illustrious career. She's still at Sun Microsystems, by the way. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Radea Joy, uh, Joy Pullman, and of course you heard the poem about her most famous, her most famous routing algorithm, the spanning tree algorithm. A Tech Talk Radio exclusive. Yes. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County, 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please be seated. Please be seated. You've been very compliant this morning. They, they are so excited about these routing algorithms. I know. I need to have these people with me at a cocktail party. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> but then you would have competition for the food. That is exactly true. Yes, sir. Well, this is not simply a radio show. This no. is a classroom of the airways. Yes. And if you, we can evaluate whether you've learned what, whether you've learned anything during the show with a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms at Stratford University, and you will also get an A plus for today's show. Earlier in the show, I talked about Radia Joy Perlman. 
She developed many of the baseline routing algorithms, and she's also known by many affectionately as Mother of the Internet. What is the name of the most famous algorithm that she developed for routing? If you know the answer to today's question, well, put down the fruitcake, pick up your device, and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rocky it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, it's 877-936-9333. If your French horn is frozen to your lips in, get it up. Call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the ever-festive international line. 877-9-3639-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. What's, what's with all the rat, rattling of the paper over there? What yes. are you doing? Are you nervous? No, I'm just I'm just working on the next topic that we're going to cover. Okay, and that would be? This is going to be the hack of the week. Okay. The hack of the week. week. This is like intercepting key fob signals to steal your car. Hmm. In, 19, in, eight, in, in 2018, 62% of the cars sold used keyless ignition systems as standard equipment. That was up from 11% in 2008. Keyless ignition systems come with a fob that transmits a unique frequency signal to the car's computer system, which then validates that the correct signal has been sent, and it allows you to push buttons like to open the doors or to start the cars. Now, hackers take advantage of this with a cheap relay box. They only cost about 20 bucks. Really? Yeah. What they do, they basically have one person, they have two relay boxes. One person goes near where the key fob is. So, like, as you're walking out of the parking lot, somebody could follow you with a relay box. Okay? And it will pick up, it will talk to your fob as it approaches. The Even if you've done nothing with the fob. Yeah. Even if you haven't pressed it to lock the door. You'll do nothing. And it then gets the signal from your fob, it relays it to another box where the guy's standing by your car. And then the car thinks the fob is beside it. Oh, wow. And he just opens the door, he starts the engine, and drives off. So I guess the the key here is to be really careful when you get out of the car. You see people just hanging around, right? People hanging around you. Now, now they do say... Hanging so, around you and hanging around the car. So it's hang- two... It's two things because it, it's 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 a relay. Okay, somebody could do also. They could suppose you have your key fob by a window at your house. Somebody could stand by your window at the house. Somebody could stand by your car, and they wow. and they they could relay it right out there. That's crazy. So so now uh, I mean this is and you can buy these relay boxes for twenty bucks on the internet. So that be you have mm. need two of them. It's it's forty bucks. So uh, see, you could see if you were in a. If you were in a busy parking lot and you park your car, and a lot of people walking around, you would not notice nope. a guy walking right behind you, and his and his accomplice would be at your car, and they would just pick it up and steal it. Meanwhile, in your gated community in Oakton, yeah. you would notice I, because I, you'd be the only guy with the other guy, I, I, and I, then the other guy. Yeah, so you see, at, at your house, you, people would you, you would notice it. Yes. Now, they do sell shields. For your fob, because and so and so they said so I so I, I was looking. I said, well, what can you do about this? I said, when you're at home, they said you could put your you could put your fob in a Faraday box, which which will keep all signals from from leaving it. So they said, well, you you could put your fob in the microwave, and then the, nobody could detect your signal. You put it in the refrigerator, but I mean that's but they they make little Faraday bags for your fob, and then and and, and so you so you can get a pair of Faraday fag bags for your fob for for for, for, for 19 you can get you can get two faraday bags for, for for nine dollars from on the internet and then and then after you're done driving your car you just drop it in the faraday bag and you're protected it's like putting it in a lead bag right yeah and, and you're protected but of course you can't leave it in the faraday bag or it won't talk to your car right so you got to take it out of the bag to use it and you put it back in the bag as soon as you get out. i mean it's a little okay compli- let's take this one more step forward <laughs> So what we need, we need now pants with Faraday pockets. Pants with Faraday pockets. That 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 would be perfect. That would that would be the perfect fix, wouldn't I've, it? It took me fifty six years, but I've come up with my million dollar idea. I think, I think idea. you've got a great. So that is the hack of the week because I think that is going to become a bigger and bigger problem because car thefts are going up and the rate that they're going up has has been tracking the rate that wireless device wireless 
key fobs have been going up. Here's a question, though. Can you dry clean, wash, and iron Faraday? I I don't know. Okay, that, we'll that's, you're, that. you're gonna you're gonna have to do research on that before before that. you file your patent. Yeah, <laughs> I'll do over the holidays because I got nothing else yes. to do. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University, talking technology. An emergency has hit Europe. Uh-oh. They have run out of IPv4 Internet addresses. That's a problem. That's a problem. The final block of new IPv4 addresses was handed out in Europe, and no new IPv4 addresses are available. And, uh, and IP version 6 adoption remains very slow. We are still mostly an IP version 4 network. And just to explain the difference, IP version 4, the address space is 32 bits. In IPv6, the address space is 128 bits. In IPv6, with a, an address space that long, 128 bits, there are Buku addresses available. But with IPv4 and only 32 bits of address space, we've run out of them. And uh, there are no more. And this may speed the transition to, uh, to IPv6. Now, the organization responsible for allocating new IP addresses across Europe, the Middle East, and parts of Asia said it's finally run out. Now, this is not a total surprise. We've been expecting this at a moment for yeah. since 2012. Mm -hmm. When RIPE NCC, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the, Internet, uh, that's the provider of, of Internet addresses in Europe, RIPE NCC, he got his final allocation of IP addresses from Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, IANA. Back in, uh, back in 2012, they got their final allocation. Now, it's not the only source of, of, uh, of new IP, it's, and, and, and they were the only source of new IP addresses in there. And so this puts pressure on network operators and raises concern over the scalability of Internet growth. Now, IPv4 addresses that are returned to RIPE, NCC, from now on from organizations that have gone out of business or from networks that return addresses they no longer need, will be allocated via a waiting list. Now, this may provide a few hundred thousand uh, addresses per year, so they'll, they'll just repurpose those addresses. Now, despite the warnings, the successor to IPv4, which is IP version 6, is still not widely adopted, and much of the Internet runs on IPv4. In recent years, this scarcity of addresses has fueled the secondary market on used IPv4 addresses. People are selling their, you know, unused IPv4 addresses for 10 to 30 euros per address. So there's a little side market on that deal. So um, the U.S. hasn't run out yet because we kept more of the addresses for ourselves than we gave to Europe because we controlled the address space. Interesting. Uh, Doc, while we go to break, let me tell you this. I just looked up Faraday bags. Faraday bags are made of um, uh, several layers of metallic fiber, like copper, aluminum, and uh, static uh, dissipative polyethylene. Oh, okay. So I, you probably wouldn't want to uh, iron it. No. And they might be rather uncomfortable to sit down upon. I suspect they aren't terribly flexible. Yeah, it could be. They might yeah. be scratchy, too. <laughs> <laughs> you might not want to go through the airport metal detector because it would rip your pants off. Yes. <laughs> it's Saturday morning, okay. and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County, 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Trump plans to throttle back the H-1B visa program where, you know, international folks can work in the U.S., as well as the OPT program, optional practical training, that gives... uh, international students up to three years to work in industry after they get their degree. These sweeping changes, if implemented, could change the face of U.S. technology. One of the biggest targets, the H-1B visa, is a category of visas that companies and Indian IT service outfits have been accused of gaming to their advantage, thereby displacing American programmers. Now, with the number of h one be reject the number of H-1B rejections has soared. It, it used to be around six percent were rejected. That rejection rate has gone up to twenty-four percent because there's a new approach to detailing, and because they have been more they've been scrutinizing the actually the academic history of each of the people that are applying for the H-1B and making it more difficult if they have any transgressions. But under the new rules that they're proposing. They're going to eliminate computer programming as a specialty occupation that will qualify for H-1B. And that may be the final nail in the coffin because Mm. almost 95% of the H-1B visas are for computer programming. And that will be a huge impact on American education as well as American students. Now, there may be some justice in these denials because of the dodgy operations of Indian body shops in the past, and there were some unscrupulous operators. But this program, the H-1B visa program and the OPT, Optional Practical Training, was really designed to fuel the uh, technology development within this country. And it remains to be seen whether this damages the prospect of, you know, of companies that are trying to build an IT infrastructure. Uh, trying to build, you know, trying to build robotics or AI, and where they need really skilled programmers. The plan will also do away with H-4 visas, and that will protect the spouses of H-1B visa holders from working. And that will be applied retroactively, so people that currently have an H-1B visa, their wives will not be allowed to work. Now, these have not gone into effect yet, but there's talk about it, and it's on the uh, Homeland Security website. They also plan to have a significant reduction or elimination of the optical practical training program STEM extension. If you're in a STEM job, science technology, if you're in a STEM degree, have a STEM degree, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, they give you three years on your OPT. They're proposed, instead of one year, which is the normal OPT time, they're, they are talking about eliminating the OPT STEM extension which was actually put in place as a compromise to, to help uh, our, our tech industry. OPT is one of the big reasons that foreign graduates spend a significant amount of money to come to the U.S. for their studies. And it's also a huge reason that graduate engineering programs turn out some of the best brains in advanced fields in the U.S. economy because of this particular program. The Trump administration has set a target date of August 2020 for the r- rule change but might wait and see how the lawsuit against OPT, which was filed by the Western Alliance of Technology Workers, a labor union, goes. If the court rules in, from, in, in favor of the labor union for, of a limp for eliminating or limiting OPT, then, then uh, the Trump administration won't do anything. NASFA, the Association of International Educators, says that foreign students bring over $40 billion a year to the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm and support almost 450,000 domestic jobs who will now simply, and, and they'll now just simply have to depart. And they'll probably, students will go to other countries like Canada, Australia, or UK. Already, since um, since Trump's been in office, uh, the, the number of 
students applying for visas in the U.S. has dropped dramatically, and they are going to U.K. and to Canada. Now, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot. You look at it, almost, almost, almost half of the Fortune 500 companies were started by first-generation immigrants or their children. 55% of the billion-dollar startups were started by immigrants. In tech alone, companies like Google, eBay, Sun Microsystems are a handful of the thousands of small, medium, and large firms founded by immigrants employing hundreds of thousands of Americans who used OPT as their springboard toward their goals. And we're just making a huge mistake. And let me tell you, most of the uh, horsepower for an expanding U.S. economy is going to come from immigration. Mm -hmm. I want to have a sidebar here. Please. I want to talk about the demographic bonus. This is this demographic bonus significantly alters uh, demographics in the world, and it's what determines where the workforce is going to be coming from. Now, what a demographic bonus is when a country goes from or a region goes from mostly agricultural into industrial, they get a demographic bonus. When when a country is mostly agricultural, every married woman has around 6.5 babies per person. Then as the country develops, health care comes in, and the babies don't die at childbirth, and the population starts shooting up. Shortly after health care goes in, education goes in. As soon as the women are educated, they say to heck with 6.5 babies, and the birth rate drops dramatically. And so you end up with this huge surge in population, which then drops off, but those youth are unencumbered by large families, and they're poised to, they are poised to contribute to the economy. So in the last 15 years, for instance, southern India mm-hmm. had a demographic bonus that generated literally 15 million excess workers. The entire IT boom in southern India was fueled by this demographic bonus. And a lot of the people that were in India came to the U.S., and the U.S. benefited from their technical capacity, and that fueled the, the sort of the tech economy in the U.S. Now, what happens after you go through the demographic bonus, uh, your average age is higher. So the average age in India is 26. The average age in southern India, which just went through the demographic bonus, is 35. Mm. The average age in northern India is 22. Wow. They're going to have another demographic bonus. Northern India is going to produce... 20 million excess workers for the job market in the next 15 years. Indonesia is poised to have a huge demographic bonus. The average age in the U.S. is 45. We're too old to produce a demographic bonus. The average age in Europe is 48. The only way that Europe and the U.S. can continue their economic growth is through immigration. And what are we doing? We are We are blocking the immigrants who are here and are educated, and we have an open border for immigrants who are uneducated. We're exactly attracting the wrong kind of people to build the economy. So I think this is a huge mistake, and I don't think politicians understand the whole issue of the demographic bonus and worldwide demographic trends. And this would be why you have two campuses in India, right? That's right. We're we've, we got and we're in northern India. Mm-hmm. We're in northern India, and we're we're also moving. So we're, that's where we're moving internationally. That's where the students are. So I think this is really important. You do not hear politicians talking about demographics, and I'm telling you the strength of this country is brought by immigrants. Now, you know, we're a melting pot. We bring people together, and we get a lot of innovation. So I hope that this plan of Trump's does not go through. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And um, make sure to go to the Stratford University website at stratford.edu and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio.